Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today we're talking about uh, a sort of phenomenon in today's working world that I find truly fascinating. It's becoming one of those omnipresent parts of our lives that's so everywhere that I don't even think we're noticing it. And what it's really in reference to is the gig economy, the gig economy. So we're going to talk through the gals of the gig economy, what it looks like to be a woman working for, I don't know, a rideshare app or Glam Squad or any one of those, uh, you know, sharing economy, gig-based work platforms like Fiverr or Etsy. Uh, and what it looks like, is it a good thing or not? Um, is it empowering or is it exploiting women workers? So this is something that's really near and dear to our hearts, right? It is. Bridget, I mean... We both have a background in labor organizing. Yes. And I know we talk a lot about uh, workers' rights and how women can advocate for them. Always for the workers. Always. We love the workers. We're down for the workers. Um, but the gig economy feels very new, very different, and very much like the future of work. Yeah. I mean, part of me, when we were researching this um, topic today, I thought like, I- I'm I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of like this being the future, but perhaps it's that like folks who folks who are like, Dive it in head first. They're like, yeah, I'm just getting a jump on the future of work. Like, this is what we're all going to be doing. May as well do it now. Deal and with it. I'm being like left behind because I'm like, well, I don't know if this is good. Well, I think about the fact that my grandfather worked for the same company for a bajillion years and they used to send their workers home with a Thanksgiving turkey. Whoa. Right. Like that was how a worker, that mutual uh, loyalty that was right. expected from a worker and an employee is like so passe and how people don't even want that anymore. Like, I think some people would disagree with that assessment, but that's the conflict here is that what, you know, are people loving this flexibility that comes with being a gig economy worker? Are people hating it? So I think we should maybe start with defining. Yeah. What is the gig economy? I think it's important that we start with a clarification around that. And yet I'm afraid to disappoint you, Uh Bridget, because (laughs) I'm reading straight off of the Bureau of Labor um, but what is it? The Bureau of Labor Statistics that reports on these measures as it looks, you know, nationally across the United States. And this is from May 2016. But they say, listen, for the purposes of this article, like there is no official definition of the gig economy or for that matter, a gig. But for the purposes of this article, a gig describes a single project or task for which a worker is hired often through a digital marketplace to work on demand. So sometimes these are short-term jobs. Sometimes it's a single deliverable project. But what it really reminds me of is contract labor. Totally. Um, And sort of like mirroring your discomfort around this, something to sort of point out is that because the gig economy and things like Uber and Lyft are relatively new, there actually aren't that many like conclusive long-term studies on it, right? Like we have lots of these kind of vague and platforms that are popping up like recently. And so... A lot of the, a lot of the studies and research around it is a little bit new. Therefore, we're kind of getting the lay of the land yeah. too a little bit. Right. I mean, the, the stats on this make my, give me whiplash actually, because we're looking really into how, how many women are in this gig economy. And I frankly believe that it's changing by the minute because we've seen that women are on track to be the majority of the workers in the gig economy. That's, that's pretty clearly repeated through lots of different publications that we've been reading. 
And according to the Harvard University's study on so-called alternative work, they found that from 2005 to 2015, the percentage of women who were employed in an alternative work arrangement more than doubled, rising from 8.3% to 17%. But if you think about it, that's still not a huge proportion of the workforce. 17% of women are working in an alternative work arrangement. So I remember I was actually up on Capitol Hill um, a few, I want to say like two years ago. There was a forum, a discussion that was being hosted by the AFL-CIO. Elizabeth Warren was there. They were talking about the economic platform that must be put forward for women. So about women's equality through economics. Right. And I saw nothing about anything relating to contract workers there. And given the fact that I work primarily with millennials, I think I have a disproportionate exposure to women in the gig economy. I raised my hand uh, and they were like, who the hell is this like <laughs> bleached, blonde, pixie haired, like casually attired woman on Capitol Hill who's asking were a they question. Like, Are you lost, ma'am? Yeah, they were all like, I was like shoving the free cookies down my throat. You know what I mean? I was like there for the food, but also listening. And uh, everyone was all Capitol Hilled out. It was like the khaki Capitol 101 uh, with blazers and all that. And I'm there and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, where's the conversation around contract workers? That's what I asked. And these are intelligent people who are at the forefront of statistics and labor and policy. And I was told at the time, they're not a huge proportion of the labor force. They make up a very small proportion of them. And the, meanwhile, I'm thinking, well, I've, I'm i in that. <laughs> I'm in that small proportion. So do you not want to address this at all? So even at the time when, frankly, the underlying assumption at that point was that here we are preparing for Hillary Clinton's presidency. Right. What should we be advocating for? The discussion was very much focused on full-time employees' rights and how can we help full-time employees get paid parental leave policies and all the other stuff we discuss on this podcast. Right. And again, I mean, I think that that story illustrates something so important because, yeah, I mean, I've been a contract worker for a lot of my employment time too. Yeah, and a freelancer. I think people don't necessarily talk about their employment status, like what their situation is. Right. Are they working three, like, gigs? Right. What are they doing? And so you don't really know you know, necessarily an accurate depiction of like how many folks this actually does account for in our workforce. Right. And typically, uh, almost universally, contract workers, gig economy workers do not receive any kind of benefit and often don't have tax withholding as a part of the arrangement. Those are two important things I think definitely worth mentioning. So if you're a contract worker, uh, I'll speak from experience, the exchange, the healthcare exchange opened up the year I started my company and I was kicked off my parents' insurance, which I was able to get back on to, you know, thank you, Obama, Obamacare, till I was 26. Hashtag thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. So I, I start my business when I'm 26 years old because I was able to get uh, insurance through my parents. Then I graduate from that category of age bracket. Like, it's like, okay, emerging adult, get your stuff together. <laughs> and the exchange, the marketplace opens up the... January that I was turning wow. 27 that year and would have been kicked off. So I was able to get insurance through the exchange so I could have my own company, then my little fledgling LLC um, that enabled me to be a part of the marketplace, like a part of the small business world. And that, I mean, that's just one example of what we're going to come back to at the end, which is on like how social safety nets can change to make the gig economy less risky for workers. 
Yeah, I mean, I wish that my story of being in the gig economy was a sort of like, gr- like a growing up tale as yours well, is. I got lucky. Is what that is about. Yeah, I remember yeah. the first time that I worked as a contract employee. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm getting so much money, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Then tax time came around. And this oh is the God. story Ditto. I always tell. Ditto. So I've been going to the same H&R block here in D.C. for a very long time. I go there. I'm like now known as the girl who cried because I went oh, I and wept. I brought my I paperwork and he was like, okay, you owe the IRS. Like, and he said, I'm, I'm, you know, a number that for me, I mean, I just was like, he may as well have said a million dollars. Can you it, share? It was the amount I owed was so absurd. Oh it was God. thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, but I make no money. Like, how can that be? And even, even now, this was like years ago when I, I went to that same H&R block girl. to get yeah. my taxes done. And the guy was like, Oh, that's right. You were, you were the girl who cried. And I was oh, like, yeah. The girl That's who cried. It's so funny you mentioned that because the one year that I was making extra money on the side as a contractor, in addition to still having a day job, um, I was not withholding taxes, which is a thing you have to do as a contract worker. I wasn't paying quarterly taxes. Right. FYI, y'all, if you're a quarterly, if you're a, if you're getting money on the side via, as a contractor, Google how to pay quarterly taxes right now and get on it. Yes. Don't be the girl crying in H&R Block. Girl, I quit my day job to start Bossed Up the first time I quit my day job. Let me put it that way. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm rolling it right now. I've got a sweet nest egg that I've worked really hard to put aside. And then a month later, I owed Uncle Sam 10 grand. Taxes. And I was like, I mean, mean, it's my civic duty. I'm happy to do it. Of course, it's our civic duty, blah, blah, blah. But it's bad. It was bad. And Brad was new in the picture at the time. And I kept telling him, like, I just did my taxes on three different online portals and I got the same answer. H&R said the same thing. Like, I, I was like, maybe I'm doing this wrong. And then he, like, I broke it down for him and he started laughing. He was like, well, of course you owe 10 grand. Ugh. And I'm, like, crying. He's, like, laughing at me. That was the hardest thing for me to, to sort of, like, make heads or tails up. Was it, like, I'm poor. Most, I'm poor. Yeah. How do I owe this money? Right. Like, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, so... Get yourself a financial yeah, advisor. Google that stuff, but please. I mean, so it's part of the way in which when you're a contractor or in the gig economy, you're on your own. I used to Airbnb my apartment here. Oh, Sorry. same, same, same. Sorry, management company. I Airbnb'd my yeah. place and I tried uh, Postmates because I don't have a car, but you can do Postmates from a bike in DC, which oh, if cool. you don't have Postmates, it's like a delivery service to deliver, nice. you know, if you want, you know, some specific food right. item, someone will bring it to you on a right. bike. Um, and yeah, neither of those worked out well, you really have to well. Pay taxes on your right. own. So for Airbnb, I was like, oh God, I forgot. Like, oh God, I have to make sure I'm doing this at the end of the year, whatever. Taxes, like, my old foe. So I always forget. There are lots of ways in which being a full-time employee feels kind of simple and wonderful. Right, like, because it's just, great. You're, you're not just on your own. Right, as a contractor you are. So I think the rise of the gig economy feels like a very, um, it's classical, Classic American individualism mm. on display, right? It's like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And the question becomes, is it an opportunity for unlimited earning potential, right? Because it's up to you, however much you want to drive for Lyft. Yeah, like however much you set your own schedule. Yeah, set your own schedule, do whatever you want. And then, or is it exploitation? Because no matter how hard you work, you still might not be earning um, you might not be rolling in it, right? It, right? It's like, it's this amorphous way of saying, well, this is on you, employee. This is on you, gig economy worker, to figure it out. I'm not going to make these, um, I'm not going to make there be a stable expectation right. for what a, a living wage might be for you. And what's fascinating is that, and I think we'll talk more about this going forward, but 
how this plays out in the marketing in for oh, yeah. for these these things where it's like, you know, what would usually be considered a negative, right? Like not right. having labor protections, it gets spun as gets, like, oh, it's on you to decide yeah. how much you make instead of like, you know. It's the whole boss culture. It's like everybody wants to be their own boss. Isn't it fun? Yeah. And I think Ugh. we see that. And so like we saw that in an earlier episode around um women in things like LuLaRoe, where yeah. there's this idea that we have in this country where like hustle is so good and like being your own boss and like having your own thing and setting your own hours and not being tied to a nine to five at an office. Right. That's We definitely, you know. <laughs> when did it become uncool to have a full-time job? Having a full-time job is awesome. And like no shade to anybody <laughs> right. who, who doesn't, but right. like it's not something we should be cramping on. I know. And I feel like we are. So I think it's a good time to take a break. Yeah. So when we come back, we'll talk through a couple of case studies of magical thinking when it comes to PR and the gig economy. We'll be right back after this. And we're back and we've got some troubling examples of the gig economy glamorizing overwork as being something to aspire to. Yeah, I think that for me, that really is the one of the main reasons why I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the, this gig economy Especially future of with, work Yeah, is that we, yeah, we glamorize things that we shouldn't be glamorizing. And I think this great example was this ad for a company called Fiverr, if you don't, or a platform called right. Fiverr, which basically anyone can pay you $5 to do anything. Or so, more. Or more money. And it's a, it's a platform, like you're saying. It's like a connecting like a marketplace network. where you can find all kinds of talented people and enlist their services from across the country. And this ad appeared in a New York City subway, which I think is very telling. It's because, very New York. Oh, I think maybe only in New York could you test this to see if it was received well. What does this ad look like? So the ad looks like a beautiful woman. Um, it, it's her a close-up of her face. I'll say she looks a little, she's gorgeous, gaunt. but looks a little gaunt. Like yeah. maybe she's been up all night or something like that. Or maybe like, she's, she's definitely got the high, high fashion model cheekbones. Yes. Slash maybe she hasn't eaten in seven weeks. Correct. Yeah. So that, I like that it's like up to you to be like, oh, yeah. which one is it? Is she a gorgeous model or just, and you know. And her hair is messed up on purpose, yeah, like, I feel like. She looks like she's been like. Disheveled. But she's disheveled. Beauty, beautiful disheveled. Yes. And so the tagline is. You eat a coffee for lunch. You follow through on your follow through. Sleep deprivation is your drug of choice. You might be a doer. Ugh. And I hate, so like, again, just like we were talking about how it sounds very, they, they found a way to flip something that sounds awful to me to make it a badge of honor, a right? A badge so of like, honor. Burnout culture, girl. That's my thing. And I talk all culture. day about how the glamorization of burnout culture is what's leading to the degradation of basic a basic sense of human rights as workers. Right. And we shouldn't be glamorizing, you know, not eating. That's not like, that's not a glamorous thing. Or not sleeping. Not sleeping. We shouldn't be glamorizing. Like having follow through is great, but like, wasn't it the university, some university got, came under fire for a video ad like this as well. Did you see that? It was like these poor, like, Parents who are like on the subway trying to missing dinner with their families. Oh, They're I've, sacrificing. I feel like that's like the the subtext of every like uh, online college for profit. Ad. Yeah, college. Where it's like oh, like sit on the subway floor and like do your paper. And right. It's like, no, like you should be, be normalizing like spending time with your family and or sleeping getting and sleep. eating. Yeah, basic. basic and things. another thing I hate about this ad and something that I see a lot like food and sleep are basic human needs, right? Like if you're not getting sleep, you can't. 
be a lot, like a functional person. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is all about, like, I, I geek out and think psychology 101. (laughs) If you can see Emily's face, she's so pleased that she knows this. I'm pushing a invisible glasses. (laughs) I've been waiting to drop this fact. Actually, yeah, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Although, to be clear, I am aware of the fact that his theory has come under fire in recent years, but little, whatever, like, Moral of the story is you need a foundation of basic human needs, things like shelter, safety, food, sleep, you know, rest, comfort. And then another layer on top of that to achieve a higher order of thinking. My uh, Cogsci professors would be so proud of me now. But like to actually achieve your full potential, you need love, connection, belonging, and then you can actually work it. So like the idea of like martyr yourself don't for eat, your job. Don't sleep. It's really Isn't that great? pervasive. And they say the whole campaign was called Endures We Trust. And it was about glamorizing the sort of burnout that is that is often delivered hand in hand with the gig economy. Often, but not always. But I think it's important to say often. The other thing that really bothers me about the f- women in the gig economy is that these sharing economy jobs are increasingly being presented as a work-life balance solution, particularly to women and particularly to moms who can supposedly achieve that sort of what Elle magazine calls the holy grail of t- true work-life balance by punctuating childcare or domestic labor with the more flexible work offered by sharing services and apps. And again, it's that's so that dovetails so nicely with this idea that like Everybody wants this dream scenario where they can take care of their kid, they can be at home, they can make money. Like, really what it comes down to is that I think that why we we prize that so much is that we just need to live in a society that, like, allows for people to, you know, meet their basic needs and also work. Isn't it funny how so many of our episodes are coming back to that same solution? Like, that's why pyramid schemes are having a renaissance, or MLMs, sorry, ladies. (laughs) That's why... sharing economy is taking off like we're all on this quest for work-life balance and i get it i'm an entrepreneur i'm in it for the same reasons and it doesn't always look very pretty um and it doesn't you know you're you're gonna have days like that but we shouldn't aspire to to being overwhelmed and busy and burnt yeah out. i mean I had, a, I had a moment of that pretty recently where i had been um in australia for a long time and i had to fly back to the united states and then like have like a day and then go to, to a big festival to speak. Oh, please go ahead and name it. I mean, drop that name, girl. <laughs> Bridget flew back internationally from Australia to speak on a panel at South by Southwest, which had been, she's that a point boss. had been like a dream of mine. And I was like, totally. there's no way I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm in good company How did with that feel, Bridget? felt amazing. Yeah. I'm in good company with folks like Emily and CNC. So, oh yeah, that's true. Um, but it, it happened to fall on my birthday. And so I remember. When I was getting out my like travel stuff to like get my flight, the TSA agent or whoever took my ticket was like, oh, happy birthday. And I was like, happy birthday, what? And then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> no way. It's my, like, my birthday. And I, I had been so like, oh, go, 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 girl. that I hadn't even. And so I thought like, gee, on the one hand, if I told that story, you could frame it as like, oh my God, like what a hustler, like go you, work ethic. Hustle. But actually it was like really sad. It was sad to me that like my birthday was spent, you know, not even sort of like travel. really like yeah. realizing it like that on the one hand and so i think it's interesting how these um how these companies have found a way to sort of play on that duality of like is it you know is the gig economy this free this freeing thing for women yeah. and blah 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 or is it like not so glamorous 
I know. It's like, even if you do agree that burnout culture isn't glamorous, the question still becomes, you've got unlimited earning potential in a sharing economy. Right. So it's up to you. Is that kind of free market capitalism on steroids good? I mean, or is it... So I remember one of my uh, mentors in the entrepreneurship space was giving me some real talk when I was calling her saying, I've been doing this for a year and I'm really not making money. Like I've been doing bus stuff on the side while I was working full time for the first year or two. And I remember just saying like, at what point should I give up on this? Like at what point should I pivot or admit failure or defeat? And she, she sort of sat me down and said, listen, just because you have unlimited earning potential doesn't mean you have unlimited earnings. Right. And so I think that that's opportunity is not the same as um stability. Right. And no matter how much of a capitalist you are, like I am, okay. Yeah, you like, like to, to be clear, you chase that paper. I'm all about it. I'm, I'm I'm all about it. And I'm a progressive capitalist. I think we should come up with a An better term. Ethical for that. progressive capitalist. Yeah. I mean I do my best. Right. <laughs> but um but it can be ugly. And also there's a difference between the sharing economy worker or the gig economy worker like us who we might have been earning bigger checks from our day jobs and Airbnb for funsies mm-hmm. and the people who are doing gig economy work full time. And I want to tell a quick story that went very viral um, from Lyft, the rideshare app Lyft, which I know on former episodes, we've talked about how much we love Lyft as opposed to Uber because Uber is pretty much as evil yeah, as they get. Yeah, I think get. I actually remember saying like Lyft call, call us. <laughs> but Lyft don't call us. Yeah, sorry. We, we're going to take that back. <laughs> um, but here's the thing of the lesser of two evils situation. Like maybe there's an, a third. Y'all, if you have another rideshare app we should be using, let us know. But here's what we've got. We've got this really messed up story um, of from last July that chronicled the details of a rideshare driver named Mary. Um, Mary's a Chicago driver who, who I'm quoting here, happened to be nine months pregnant when she began experiencing contractions while on her nightly route. Eventually, when it became clear that she was in labor, Mary decided to drive herself to the hospital. Now, here's the double speak that came out of Lyft's PR shop, okay? Somebody, I hope, got canned over this. Um, Since she didn't believe she was going into labor yet, she stayed in driver mode. And sure enough, ping, she received a ride request en route to the hospital. She took the customer and Lyft posted this story proudly as an example of Mary's stellar work ethic rather than, you know, evidence that perhaps she had to keep working while she should have been going to the hospital. Right. And I, what I hate so much about the way that Lyft framed this is that they frame this as like she had this choice, like she could right. go to the hospital or keep working. And it's like, if those are your choices, I bet it's not actually a, a, the, right. the kind of choice they are suggesting it is. Like, I bet that you are, you feel like you don't actually have a choice. It's a that you need to, choice. yeah, right. like you need to keep working for financial reasons. And right. like, that's not, the, that's not a choice we should be celebrating. Right. Like, oh, isn't it great? Like, she continued to drive even though she was in labor. The like, ultimate multitasker. I hate and that. And some people want to celebrate that. And then there are lots of examples of like, are, should we applaud this or should we gasp at this? Here's the thing. We don't actually know what Mary was thinking at the right. time because we haven't, she hasn't gone on the record, um, at least from what I've seen. But there's other there's other examples. Yeah, there was a really great example um locally here in DC where there was, I, I'm a, I love to ride bikes. And so I'm a member of like half a dozen cyclist groups. And there was an image of a of a woman here in DC on U Street riding a bike share bike 
while, you know, dressed for work, wearing high heels and carrying her dry cleaning and like a briefcase and, and like, like a grocery bag. Or right. Something. And there like, was a lot. She, yeah. There was a lot going on. And the caption was like, Oh, what a hustler. Like, you know, doesn't people let... were like applauding her. Yes. Was, that photo went viral it saying went... this is the epitome of epitome, epitome. This is the epitome. I've never <laughs> heard anyone pronounce it like that. Wait, I think I've heard something. I think that might be a different word. Oh, geez. I'm sure we'll get emails about that one. <laughs> Email her at me. Epitome, <laughs> a person that is, it, it's epitome. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. But she's, they said like Twitter went buck People wild. were like, oh my God, she's such a, a, a hustler. Like that's how you get things done. And then what I loved was that this woman happened to be like a, a writer or an editor for the Washington Post. And she, she wrote an op-ed about it. And she basically was like, I'm not comfortable being the poster child of overwork and burnout. Yeah, that day I did have a million things going on. And like, mm-hmm. it actually wasn't super safe to be riding down a busy street holding my groceries. No helmet, by with the way. No helmet, which I'm sure she heard a lot about. Yeah. That's, if you know anything about cycling, <laughs> right. that is a ongoing I've debate. I've cracked a helmet or two. Um, so. Same, same, yeah. same. Thanks, Helmet. Um, but yeah, like she said, like it, it, wasn't a, it, what I was doing was not a safe choice. And I do not want to be the face that is advocating for making those kinds of choices that right. are not safe or healthy. And so I, I just loved that. I love that too. And speaking of safe or healthy and the fact that this might not be a, a, a free choice, this is a constrained choice when it comes to like barely making minimum wage after 11 hours a day right. in your car driving people around the city. Um, the other layer on top of this for women, which Elle magazine did a really great job sort of breaking down how women are not necessarily coming out on top in the gig economy. As bad as all the wages and that stuff is, it's worse for women who are subject to more directly violent forms of workplace discrimination. Mm. So talk about like safety. Several women who work for rideshare services have reported sexual assault or harassment from their clients. This woman in Atlanta, was told, um, was she brought a man to the strip club? Way to go, first of all. Like, <sighs> ew. Way to take a rideshare car to the strip club. It's like, I have, have so you many no questions. shame? Yeah. So then he asks her if she wants to make some extra money by coming into the strip <sighs> club. And it escalated to like grabbing her breasts and face, trying to force her to kiss him. Oh, ew. That's you awful. Know? And like, yeah, I mean, like, in most, like, in most situations in our society, women are already more marginalized. And, like, you know, it's like, if the, if we, if the idea of this, like, new, right. you know, new work economy, new gig economy means that protections are taken away, it's women who right. are already marginalized who are right. going to be, more, right. like, more disenfranchised by that than they, than we already well, are. And to the deregulating Republican Party, who's all about government and regulations getting out of the way so that people can have direct exchange of goods and services. This is like a libertarian's wet dream. Ugh. I'm sorry to like go there, but it totally it is. is. It, 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 I can just see the capitalism like boners that people are getting <laughs> over the <laughs> Ca- hashtag capitalism boner. Because it's true. Like this is direct, like getting out of the way so that individuals can make quote unquote choices right. to exchange goods and services. The less protections, the less red tape, the better says, you know, a total li- libertarian. But what they forget and fail to factor in is that people who are more likely to be harassed or assaulted are the ones that lose in this situation. Totally. So if women are becoming the majority of gig economy workers and women writ large or people across the spectrum are more and more turning to gig economy work as a full-time solution, is this really safe? And I think you even see that in, you know, traditional work. It's like, 
we're, I think that work where women are becoming more and more, you know, the people who do that kind of work more and more. Right. Those are the kinds of jobs where we just expect that they're, that they're going to get screwed. I look at like mm. being a, a server in a restaurant, like women are more likely to be servers in restaurants. True. And yet they are the ones who are like harassed on the job more. And we, you know, our, our, our system of compensating them is totally Based screwed. Right? Yeah. Like, it's like insane how America has decided that. Minimum wage doesn't apply to servers. Exactly. And so I think it really, it, mm-hmm. gig economy or not, it really comes down to when women enter these, these work arrangements Fields, yeah. where there are, is a lack of protections, a lack of regulations. It's women who are the ones who are, who are more yes. likely to be abused or have that system exploit them. Right. All right. When we come back from a break, we're going to talk about whether this is just about growing pains as we enter this new era of work, uh, or if this is exploitation, what we can do about it. We'll be right back in just a second. So Bridget, okay, I know we like to get a little riled up. We get feisty. We get feisty and we we can talk about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket on occasion. And I wouldn't say that we're wrong all the time. However, I've got good news. It's not all bad news. It's not all bad news. It's concerning how often we say that, though. <laughs> um, the good news here is I think we are. I really do think we are at this historical sort of choice moment when it comes to how Americans make a living. Right. And with the, I mean, if you look at mass automation and what the, the death of the trucking industry is going to do, it also actually gives me hope that the more that we're all in this together and we realize this is not a women's issue. This is, this is a, everybody should be able to make a living and be in the middle, the very shrinking middle class that is here in America. I think it requires leadership that's willing to look at the big picture and not pit certain Americans against other Americans in this very competitive marketplace. And the good news is that I think employers are becoming more aware of the importance of employee engagement right. and retention. Right. Because I mean, if you are at an, if you have an organization or a company and your employees don't care about you at all, that you're just a, you know, an app to them or that you, that they right. don't have any kind of loyalty to you. Right. That's not good for you. I mean, it can be costly. Right. And think about how much is lost in terms of like, um, you know, historical knowledge and an organization. Right. If people are just like, we're not loyal to each other and like, right. I can peace out at any time and not think two, th- two things about it. I've been asked to be the token millennial on more than one stage to talk about employee loyalty. And my question is, what's in it for me? Like, what's in it for <laughs> me, the millennial, if you're not going to treat me like a worker who actually is deserving of loyalty? Right. So it takes this two-way social contract. But according to... Um, this survey that time actually time did a survey on the future of work that was fascinating. They found that 80% of companies that use independent contractors say that they do so because they can quickly adjust the size of their workforce, save money on benefits and tailor the worker to a specific task. But more than half of the firms polled said that contingent workers are not as invested or loyal as employees. Surprise, surprise. And that they're not always around when needed. Nearly half say that they're hard to retain. So 70% of employers, according to the time survey, says that the social contract are, quote, whereby health, retirement, and other benefits are generally tied to traditional, full-time, W-2-based employment, end quote, should be reformed as more people move 
to making a living through alternative arrangements. And that's really the future that we're really talking about here. Right. And things like, like the idea that your health insurance and healthcare should be tied to your employment at all or should be tied to your job at all, right? Like if we are moving to a, a place where more people are going to be in situations where they are um, moving toward alternative employment situations, then doesn't it make sense to have all the other things that we need in life, you know, benefits, all of that sort of move along Into with those a, trends? a social contract or, right. like, or like a social safety net, I should say. Totally. That's government run. And that's where everyone loses their minds. Everyone loses their minds when we talk about that. And it's like government takeover but of it's, healthcare or it's childcare. It's true. I mean, like, that's why. And it's, it's like, if, yeah, if we're, if we're going to say, like, this is just the future of work and that this is where things are headed and the folks who are, you know, these doers, as Fiverr would say, mm. are just ahead of the game, then we need to make sure those folks are still taken care of and are not, you know, are not... But why, Bridget? I have a W-2. Why should I care about you know, about Mary, the contractor. Because our society is better when Mary is not having to make a really tough choice about whether to go to the hospital or pick up that right. $7, you know, lift fare. Right. And I think the um the other thing that I think President Obama on the stump during healthcare days made very clear is that when people use the emergency room for their health, like for their primary care, primary health care, that drives up costs for exactly. everybody. So we want workers especially you baby boomers who are going to retire and the whole Medicare and Medicaid or not Medicaid, but Medicare and like retirement funding is nightmarishly messed up right Right. now. Like we want to make sure everybody's taken care of because mass poverty and mass homelessness and mass, uh, you know, bad health from the masses is really destabilizing quite dangerous for our society period. Totally. And I think, you know, if, if there are, if there are things that can be done to, prevent this if, if these right. things are are avoidable we should try to right. avoid them i think who was it it's um the head of uh the center for american progress mira tandon yes jinx <laughs> mira tandon says you shouldn't have to win the boss lottery to get benefits like basic benefits and right. that i find so compelling because sure you could limit yourself to w2 employment but if we want if we're capitalistic you know, we're a country free market, of hustlers. free market enterprise folks should, I think, see the value in if we really want un, like, if we want choice for the marketplace, if we want you to be feeling free to take a job, uh, as a contractor or as a full-time employee, because that's that mobility across the employment spectrum is good for choice and good for the marketplace, then we shouldn't tie your benefits to a specific high delivering boss, right. right? It shouldn't be based on your boss's decision around parental leave, your boss's feelings around healthcare for you. Or like your you. birth control. Exactly. Then we need, that's where the government comes in, right? But the question always becomes how much regulation is good and necessary for maintaining free market and how much, we forget that sometimes regulation is what keeps our markets free right. and prevents monopolies and things like that but we've we've been there before it's, it was called the great depression i don't think we have to go back there <laughs> i would to prefer this if we out. didn't i would strongly encourage not figuring it out that way so it does feel like this is the future of work but i believe it cannot be the solution to work life balance and i, I don't, and i don't think it should be sold particularly to women right. as the solution to like these sort of traps that we can't escape of things like, you know, how we care for our children and work, right, how right, we, right, you know, right. we, we can't hustle our way out of that. Right. It's, there's not enough life hacks in the world to figure out how to make enough money 
in some of these gig economy jobs. It's, totally. not, it's not you. It's a systemic problem. Yeah. So Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. How are you making this gig economy work for you? Are you doing it full time? Are you doing it a little here, a little there like E and I were? Either way, we want to hear from you. You can get at us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Hit us up old-fashioned email style at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com or tag us in a pic on the gram. Stuff Mom <laughs> Never Told You on Instagram. 